0: The To Your Bible, a custom designed To Your Bible reading plan uh, and weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church. And I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And so we are continuing in the book of Deuteronomy, and we are almost to the end. We will get almost to the end today. Uh, And finish it up next week. And so we are continuing with some of the same things we've talked about plenty of.
1: But aren't you guys just loving it? It feels so different than reading Leviticus and Numbers. I love it because there's like feeling and emotion in it. So even though I'm reading the same things, I don't know, something feels good about it. Or maybe it's because we're like hitting that end lap around the Pentateuch. It's like, all right, I'm really going to enjoy this because we're almost done.
0: Yeah, we are mostly through law giving. Uh, The rest of the the Old Testament will include as many. layouts of laws like this and so
1: no um, but it's so foundational for us to understand this because everything we read in the rest of the old testament and the new testament yeah, yeah. over and over and over again we're going to be like oh remember that law oh
0: yeah this is why they acted that way and here's what they're violating when they chose to do that and right um yeah it'll come up a lot and so yeah we find out there's these cities refugees mm-hmm. once again and there's certain laws and um Yeah. Uh, And teaching against those who would try to abuse the the city of refugees as well. Those that would like murder someone and then go there and be like, oh, I'm safe here. It's like, nope, no, you don't get to do that either. Uh, And and then we're given laws about property boundaries again. Um, So uh, don't creep on your neighbor's property. Don't move your fence and uh, try to steal stuff. It's just theft. And so don't do that. Uh, Laws concerning witnesses. Uh, So um, this is a good law that witnesses are needed uh, to accuse people.
1: Yeah, I think Uh, it's cool how God sets up a government here that really protects the accused rather than the accuser. So of course there are consequences for those who sin in so many ways, but there's also um, consequences for those with malicious intent to falsely accuse or to maybe get revenge for things done. God protects these people who especially are oftentimes the more vulnerable and the people with less voices, whether that's um, women in this culture or the poor or anything. So um, it's, it's worth considering in our modern day society what this looks like for us. And if if people are really presumed innocent until they are told they are guilty, depending on their circumstances or their background.
0: Yeah, and it will cover, it will color how um, some of the gospel writers write, where um, Luke doesn't seem as interested in making sure that everyone who is on the scene is described, while Matthew will almost go out of his way to make sure that you know that two people were in these situations. So, Mm -hmm. um, as a way to verify uh, that these things are true or witnessed. Yeah. And then there's some laws concerning warfare, uh, which are going to matter because we're about to get into basically the major book of warfare for the Israelites. And so um, they're told to be brave, uh, which is, I guess is good going into war that you were brave. But hey, if you're building a new house, you haven't dedicated. If you're engaged, not married, or if you're just afraid to fight in general, um, that that you didn't have to go to war uh, for those scenarios. And so, um, but I, I do find it pretty telling that God's sort of first command regarding war is, Hey, when you, when you get to a city offer peace yes. first, um, that there's, there's the opportunity of repentance. There's the opportunity to, um, sort of be absorbed as a, a, a people. Um, and, and remember like the presentation here is like, this is speaking of, uh, the Canaanites that, that God has essentially identified as the squatters on the promised land, uh, who for various historical reasons have, have done some pretty terrible things. And God has held off on, um, judging them, um, for this moment. And right. so, um, yeah, there's certain, there's certain ways that that uh, is supposed to play out, uh, for the Israelites to, to, to enter the promised land to non days to offer peace, maybe to the Canaanite, depending exactly how you read this chapter. So, um, but the Canaanites certainly, uh, have a much harsher punishment in this.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that this, if, if you read it and were employing critical thinking skills as, most likely uh, an American living here in Georgia, It, it can be hard to understand this from a New Testament perspective. And it's oftentimes these passages that people will read, and then they will start to incorrectly believe that, oh, the Old Testament God is just different than the New Testament God. We know that God doesn't change. And so I think it requires us to really step back and research and consider what's going on here. So I think A couple of things to point out that were happening in the society at the time is that most kingdoms are set up with a really clear ruler that leads the country, whether that's a king or a feudal system where just a few people own the land and the rest of the people are peasants working on the land and they all pay taxes and they pay taxes to the king or these feudal leaders and that funds a full-time military who do the conquests and protect the land. But God does not set up the kingdom of Israel like this. He tells them that, listen, you're going to pay taxes, but it's going to go to the priests. And then when you have extra money, you're going to give it to the poor. And so these people are, they don't have a full-time army. They're not to be a people who are constantly battling, but they have, they're people who have other jobs. They're generally nomads, they're agricultural people, and they're kind of like weakened warriors. Uh, So God has set them up in such a way that they cannot rely on their military strength to defeat these other nations. And they are to rely on God alone and it also gives a picture that they're not the kind of people who are intending to be these like brutal warriors who are coming in and taking over cities and doing it kind of as a hobby. They are to come into lands that God directs them. But there's this real, I just think it's really cool that God before, ahead of time, always gives them the option of peace. And we'll talk about what this looks like when they go into Canaan in Joshua, uh, but it's their entire society is built around trusting God to deliver them, even in warfare. And they are not to be brutal in the war the way that these other nations around them are.
0: And even though the use of the word ear uh, is um, it translated in English as city or cities, uh, but it really means a fortified place. And so uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll tackle that a little bit more when we start to Joshua. But um, the, the, the picture should almost feel like a military outpost more than it should, yeah. um, like, a, a full civilization. And so, uh, but we'll, as I said, we'll deal with that as we go.
1: Yeah. I just want, sorry, I want to say one more thing about it. I know I'm talking about it for a while, but remember back to Genesis 15. I just want to read this passage. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and they will be servants there. That's Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, which is Egypt. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions and they shall come back here, which is the promised land in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So this battle and destruction is to be a judgment in many ways on these people. And they had 400 years to change their ways and to live in such a way or to repent and to follow Yahweh. And I'm sure some Amorites maybe did, but it's not like God snapped his fingers and immediately was like, I'm going to judge you. There's 400 years here.
0: So uh, we'll turn the corner again and talk about uh, unsolved, unsolved murders. murders. <laughs> so <laughs> if you find a dead body and there's no clear uh, killer, uh, what do you do? And and this one is just one, a little bit one of the weirder stories, but I think uh, I can make sense more sense of it of like. This dead body, especially because this, this is instruction of when you get to the promised land, if this dead body is found in the land, like there's been some sort of defilement, both because there's a dead body and maybe because of the sin to lead to this. And so, um, there's sort of like this idea of something has to be done and we don't know who to punish for this. So, here's a way that we can sort of cleanse the situation, the this defilement of this dead body, um, even if we don't solve the murder yet. And so, it doesn't absolve the murderer, but at least... Sets things clean again uh, for these Israelites, per se. Yeah, uh, but it still gives value to life here. Uh, in in that, like there, there has to be something done about a death.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's cool that God set up a provision for atonement for sins committed by unknown people or in unknown circumstances. As a way for Israel to maintain holiness and set-apartness for God, even right. when they don't have all the answers.
0: And, and there's just a, a little bit of a, not goofiness, but like, as we read through this, it's just sort of like, these laws probably existed, not just because God decreed them, but like there were probably situations that came up that inspired so many of these laws we've yeah. written. And so we're going to deal with a few of those as we go. But um, speaking of warfare, if, if we take a woman captive, or if we take over these people, we wipe, up, wipe out the, the men of this group, and we have these women and children, what are we allowed to do with them? And... Um, um, and this gets into a little bit of that that soldiers, yes, can can marry uh, these these women, um, and uh, there's it's it's there's some struggle with our mm-hmm. modern sensibilities and making sense of like, all right, is that is that provision for her? Is that harsh on her? Is that what if she doesn't like him? Like all that sort of stuff. And um, it definitely feels like God giving provision and giving some. Um, opportunity uh, to these women, that they're not left. First, they're, they're given a month. So I think that serves two purposes. One, for the women to, to mourn. They've just lost their families and their people, um, that they're given time to mourn, but also given time for these men to, to sober up a bit um, about, do I really want to uh, move forward with, with life with this woman? Um, it's like um, a legitimate check for both parties of, of what that looks like uh, for mourning and for, um, for the man as well.
1: Right. He cannot rape and pillage a town on the day that he takes it over. Yeah. But but if he wants a woman that he meets, he can, he has to wait a month and really, yeah, think clearly about what he wants to do. And, um, and I think, I mean, This is still, I mean, I'm not fully arrived and like fully at peace with this. I've gotta be honest there, but I do think that we see God saying here, no matter where this woman is from, or no matter what she's done, what no matter what her ethnicity is, she is still a value and dignity and honor because God is her creator and God is the author of life. So no matter who you are or what kind of wars you've won or how attracted you are to this woman, you don't get to use and abuse God's creation. And it just makes me think of the tree instructions right before this. God is, you know, even when he says take over these cities, but don't kill the trees. Mm-hmm. These, this is God's creation, and it needs to be treated with honor and respect and value.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and if he decides not to marry her, like she's not property. She she is given freedom and not uh, treated as yeah. um, as a piece of property that can be bought and sold at that point. And so, um, yeah, there's it's hard because there's there's a progressivism to this book compared to surrounding cultures, mm-hmm. but it's not where we are at in the 21st century, and we have to um, wade through that mess a bit of how we think things would be how much further this already was from the cultural norms how much god is separating out making holy and distinct and moving forward his people compared to the the surrounding cultures yet not quite arrived at um, probably the full fruition of how the law would actually be played out
1: yeah but i mean israel, the the way that God gives provision for people who are on the margins and people who are oftentimes mistreated in other cultures for for in some circumstances, coming in and joining the people of Israel and worshipping Yahweh is a gift. It's something that they would desire more than to live in within and under the abuses of their previous culture,
0: yeah, and so um. As things like polygamy and stuff play out, and there's various reasons why polygamy will happen. One of those we're going to deal with in a second with this Leverite marriage, this brother-in-law marriage. Uh, but even famine or infertility, some of those things cause uh, sort of uh, polygamy to happen. It's never explicitly said by God, go do this other than the, the brother-in-law thing. And so, um, mm. yeah, so it's, sometimes it's hard of like, or what does God condone or not? But it was still a practice for various reasons. And so what happens? Uh, what, what are the laws for uh, inheritances or stuff like that related to multiple firstborns of various women? And so um, these were um, these were laws that were given for these various situations.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah and it it sides with again protecting the vulnerable as far as someone who is less loved than the second wife but yep. it doesn't mean you can mistreat their kids
0: yep um yeah it's like a lesson for for Jacob, though. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, and
1: then <laughs> yeah, it's different than how we're yeah, doing Yeah,
0: <laughs> he, he sort of picked his favorites, certainly. Uh, and then there's the rebellious son, uh, which uh, this is where uh, our honor-shame culture and the culture that um, me and probably most of you as listeners swim in sometimes stand apart. Um, to, to be a son who is as disrespectful as they're trying to present and as disrespectful as we see in, in other stories of scripture, like this is like one of the most shameful and the most wrong things you can do in in their society and in their culture. And so that's why this punishment seems so extreme, because this is culturally an extreme that you would act like this uh, towards your parents.
1: Yeah, but I hope as you read it, you thought of Luke 15, you thought of the prodigal son, because that's a picture here. And so that father in that story had the right to... To take out his son, but instead he received him home with grace and that's what the Lord does with us. And so it's almost setting the stage for us to see the complete grace of God when we have done the worst possible thing to him as our father. He still receives us with open arms and gives us a home.
0: Yeah. And then we get the fact that a man hung on a tree is cursed and... I mean I would argue all the laws have some connection to Jesus but it's like this just felt thrown in there just to be like oh yeah I'm I'm going to fulfill this in Jesus. I mean Paul picks up on yeah. it pretty quickly. Uh but uh, this idea that um that this is a representation of curse yet Jesus will use that for life too. Mm-hmm.
1: Various laws.
0: Yeah. We're going to get miscellaneous laws in various sections, or you you read through various various sections of miscellaneous laws, and they're all over the map in some cases. So like, yeah, help your neighbors with their ox and donkey if it falls in a hole, which by Jesus's time became the law to argue what is work on the Sabbath. When you have to help your, which, which law do you obey? Do we obey the law that we have to help our ox, the ox and dog of our neighbor? Do we obey the law that we don't work? Like, what do we do? And those are sort of the conversations that came about. Mm -hmm. And so,
1: yeah. um, Don't cross dress is the next one, which probably referred to some sort of,
0: um, other God, pagan pagan
1: worship. Yeah. Where people would dress like the other gender as a form of worship.
0: Yep. Um, you can eat eggs, but not if the mother bird's there where you can't eat the mother bird. And so, um, yeah. again we want
1: to preserve life like the trees and doesn't it make you read the part of Matthew 6 about God caring for the sparrows a little bit differently there's even a reference here
0: in the law there's even a law for how God cares for the birds Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there's apparently there are people falling off roofs quite often and so they need a building code and so they said hey if you have a roof put a rail on it make sure people can't fall off so I
1: feel like in modern day it'd be like if you have a car wear your seatbelt
0: yeah this is OSHA for uh, back then Uh, and then (laughs) laws about mixing crops or plowing animals or threads and there's various we've talked about this before the various reasons that people think that mixing things is bad um, so we won't spend time camped out there because we'd just be conjecturing with everybody else Yeah. and then uh, put tassels on your garments the tassels that are there to remember to, to not only set you apart visually but to, to remember God's mm-hmm. laws with
1: yeah so, so I think here and in all of these miscellaneous laws we see that God is invested in the big things and the small things of life and when he invites us to live under his leadership he guides us in all things showing care of life from humans to all of God's creation. And our invitation is to live within his created design and order.
0: Yeah. So we move into some uh, sexual immorality, which uh, you'll see there's miscellaneous laws and there's laws about sex and marriage the miscellaneous laws and laws about sex and marriage. Um, and so yeah. um, God definitely has a high value on virginity, or at least uh, the, there's a, a cultural expectation of yeah. that in amongst the Israelites, um, and so uh, I think be... we
1: understand that a little bit more now that we have you know things like Ephesians five is it talking about how Christ and God and the and the marriage analogy there, which we won't jump into, but but with the New Testament understanding, we can see why God values uh, sexual purity. So, highly. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, marriage itself is held in high esteem, uh, in scripture. And certainly that is a huge hallmark of marriage itself. And so, um, that, um, yeah, so uh, the question of what happens if someone accuses someone of, of lying about their virginity and, um, mm-hmm. and there are various scenarios where men could um, certainly abuse that process. And so the right. the laws were in place to in some ways protect the women of like, look, mm-hmm. like, there would be a garment, the garment's there, then you are free to go. And, um, and, and the presentation of evidence would, would certainly um, fall on the women's side on that.
1: Right. So there were dowries given in marriage at that time. And so if a husband married a woman and he got the dowry, which is money generally, and then he accused her of maybe not being a virgin and divorced her, he would get to keep the dowry. And so there could be some sort of con artist sort of thing happening where he just wanted the money. So this law gives a provision and a way for, if he's going to divorce a woman, for the dowry to be returned. And he can't just unfairly accuse her of doing something she didn't do so he can keep the money. Yep.
0: And any men or women caught Having sex outside of their marriage. We're, were stoned, we're killed. Um, mm-hmm. It's the high value God puts on it. Uh, and then they're sort of speaking of. Um, sort of situations of, of rape. Um, like if someone betrothed, and betrothal in an ancient world um, more or less signify that you were married. Um, there was sort of the process of negotiating uh, up till the wedding day, uh, but more or less you are now committed. Right. Uh, you have entered into this covenant. Um, it's the start of the covenant agreement, but you have started. And you have so, not yet consummated yeah, the marriage. And so, um, yeah, to to... to to rape someone in this situation means you die. Now, if you both did stuff outside of uh, your agreement with your spouse, you both should be punished for that. Um, But if you're raped and then if you're raped without any sort of witnesses, no one heard you, you're in a country or something like that. uh, The woman's given the benefit of the doubt, but the man is still killed. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's laws that, or situational uh probably for various reasons um but yeah it 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 definitely still as much as it's lost our sensibilities there's a lot of ways that there's protectionism and benefit of the doubt given to the witness uh to the women or to sort of the the lesser of the parties in terms of power and influence
1: yeah but and so then you have a case where like if a woman is in betrothed and she's raped the man has to marry her
0: yeah which is a hard one, um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if that's uh, maybe to to deter. Um, that's a, that's a pretty, a pretty hefty agreement deterrent. you're you're entering into. Um, so I'm sure that probably did help deter a number of people. Uh, maybe if she gets pregnant, that there would be a system uh, that would take care of her if she were to be pregnant by that rape. I don't know. Yeah. Uh,
1: so and again, it's not, thinking about it's not
0: how we would write the laws now, all but.
1: their cultures around them, there likely could have been many cultures where rape without. Consequences. It was very common, and yeah. so this is an incredibly honoring protective measure to women who maybe hadn't felt this before yeah. or experienced it.
0: And don't marry your father's ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> whether it's a mom or a stepmom, yeah, don't yeah. do that. Um, and then there's the assembly, uh, which is sort of the gathering, particularly at the tabernacle. And so um, there were certain people groups that were not allowed there. Uh, whether it's essentially eunuchs, which is sort of a catch-all, of, or any sort of. Um, either general mutilation or castration uh there's uh lots descendants aren't allowed to be a part of that for various reasons the ammonites didn't give food when the israelites came through the Moabites hired balaam to basically try to curse them there there were stories of these descendants that have caused them to be excluded but the edomites the egyptians all good which yeah I, i don't i don't always know why exactly god picked and choose certain ones because the egyptians weren't all that great either but maybe it was just pharaoh that was really bad but anyways yeah um, but we
1: see a value on hospitality and i I think it's really important to to be clear here that the people who are excluded or not excluded from the assembly it doesn't have to do with their with their race it has to do with their faith yeah and what they believe it's not it's not a racially motivated thing these people can convert it anyway
0: yeah yeah if anything um yeah Lots of descendants. Uh, we're still family in some way. So yeah. and the Egyptians aren't. And yet the Egyptians are given a place. So, um, yeah. Uh, there's uh, uncleanness at the camp. So this is uh, into, once again, these random scenarios that people probably like, Hey, what's the ruling on this? So nocturnal emissions and, um, what to do if you're encamped as an army and you need to bury your feces, how should we do that? And so, um, you know, what everybody wants to read about in scripture. Uh, and so, uh, but they're dealing with probably cultural things that the Israelites would have had to deal with on pretty regular basis. And then more miscellaneous laws, what happens when escaped slaves show up in the promised land? Well, you need to welcome them and, and let them have a place to be. And so, um, it, Kind of harkens. Paul uh, eventually writes a letter around a escaped slave, uh, and and tells tells the slave owner, "Hey, um, when when this slave comes back, you need to welcome him as you would mm-hmm. welcome me." There's there's sort of a uh, uh, a side of this is this is your equal, and you have to think about it that way.
1: Yeah, and it's just it's great that these slaves who are coming from who knows what kind of places have can find safety. Yeah, within the people of Israel. Yeah,
0: basically the, the all of people of Israel are the the city of refuge uh, for these people for the foreigners. And so uh, no female or male prostitutes, which would have been a hint uh, towards uh, don't act like the, the pagan worshipers around you who have prostitution as part of temple or pagan worship, uh, all the abuse that happens with that. So Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely being distinct from those groups, no interest on loans to fellow Israelites. So provision for uh, those who are in need. Uh, This is not just like a loan to,
1: buy a fancy new car but it was people would take a loan when they were desperate because of crop failure or something so so they're
0: given interest-free loans
1: yeah because not charging interest was a way to help someone out who was struggling Um, and there's a blessing promise there and it's just a reminder that wealth even today that we have is a gift from God and it's not a result of our hoarding or our swindling people
0: if you make a vow follow through that seems to be a pretty uh common idea in in some of these laws and then uh hey if you're passing through a field you're able to eat the grains or some of the fruit of the field but you can't like put it in a bag and take it with you that's that's stealing you're welcome to eat it which uh, we'll see the disciples as they're walking through a field they're they're eating grain uh and then the pharisees come around going, hey, are they harvesting? Is that work or not? Should they be doing that on Sabbath? Uh, another fun debate about what is the Sabbath day.
1: Yeah. But for. it's interesting looking at these laws specifically are almost all completely around people on the margins of people yep. who don't have a voice as much the poor and,
0: yeah, if you have nothing, window you window. can go to a, a field and, and eat out of that crop. Uh, you just yeah. can't leave with it. And so um, this is this is significant uh, for people on the margins, which, uh, as we said earlier in an earlier podcast, the center of, of the chiasm of, of Deuteronomy is around this sort of care for the marginalized, the poor, and sort of value of life conversation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we get some laws concerning divorce. Um and uh, there's no sort of going back remarrying old old spouses there's no claim that a husband has on a previous wife uh, that he could just claim her back to him uh, so she's if she's been broken if that's been severed that it's been severed um, and and that's a legitimate protection I would argue for that woman from just being claimed back by the first husband and um, yeah and, and the conversation around indecency became a big Topic of debate, debate uh, mm-hmm. leading up to Jesus' time and But Jesus' time, it it definitely got narrowed down. Um, Debate could have been, uh, or uh, indecency could have been just about anything uh, in one of the rabbi's camps coming into Jesus' time. But she's like, no, 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 no. This is about protecting women. This is not about freedom for the man. Um, And and so, yeah, infidelity, abuse, stuff like that, abandonment, as Paul will deal with in 1 Corinthians. So um, what is the purpose of the divorce um, becomes um, a much more um, refined topic.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes these laws to us will seem antiqui- antiquated or too culturally confined. But if they didn't exist, if God didn't give these instructions, there would be so many loopholes that would be found where women would end up destitute and on the streets again because of the way their culture was at that time. So I think these laws and these accommodations are really, again, in order to protect the vulnerable, which in this case was usually women.
0: Yeah, and more miscellaneous laws. Mm-hmm. Um, And they're all over the map. Honeymoon year, hey, you don't serve in the military. If you steal stuff, don't steal you definitely can't steal their livelihood. Um, so if they are a mill worker, you can't, don't steal their millstone. That's not fair. Or take it and, as a
1: security for a yeah, loan or something.
0: Uh, no no kidnapping people to enslave them. Uh, so watch out for lepers. Oh, and remember my sister Miriam? Uh, <laughs> she was a leper uh, for at least a week. Uh, and so, um, yeah, watch out for leprosy. If you lend to the poor, don't take keep don't take their cloak as collateral, at least not overnight. That's yeah, that was like
1: their blanket. On. It was their, again, it was what they needed to live.
0: Yeah. So when Jesus uh, gives tells them to give their cloak, Book off the back. Um, there's, there's some tie-in to this law. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't oppress the needy, pay them a fair wage, uh, which we'll see also in the New Testament and James.
1: Right? Pay them every day because there's a good chance that they're going to use the money they made today to buy their food for today.
0: Yep. Uh, parents and children, uh, they're their judicial, uh, the, the laws, the, the punishment for the laws. Uh, only. Um, so if a parent commits a crime and the children aren't necessarily responsible in terms of the judicial punishment of that. I know God certainly has his moments where there's sort of generational or family dealings and judgments. Uh, but for Israel, you can't um, convict a, pa- a child of what the parent did. And so, um, yeah, that plays out. Uh, certainly. Uh, mm. You shall not practice injustice for the sojourner, widow, orphan. I hope that has sounded repetitive in this book up to this point because it should be. Yeah. Um, and, and we're told to leave crops left over when we glean, which is a call to, to Ruth when we read that. Or I guess Ruth is a call to Deuteronomy. Um, and um, And there's a reminder, hey, you guys were foreigners and sojourners in Egypt. You guys know what it's like to be like this. And so you should you should treat these people well because you were once like this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I just have been so convicted, even in my personal life, at the way their entire society and their individual decisions are built around supporting the vulnerable, the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. Um, yep. Yeah, it's convicting.
0: Punishment is 40 lashes uh, for certain crimes, no more, um, which gets into why there's 39 lashes. Uh, eventually they're like, hey, if we accidentally lose count... We want to make sure we don't go over. So right. <laughs> they end up taking one off. Um, and then. Yeah.
1: And other countries at this time would do over a hundred.
0: Yeah. So uh, this was reserved in a lot of ways. And then an ox. Uh, hey, if, if an ox is working the field and he wants to eat while he's working, let him, let him do it. Uh, which Paul will use this random law to, to argue for um, those who make money while working in ministry and full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. And then we get the Leverite marriage, which I mentioned before, um, which. Uh, Sarah has greatly we just talked about pointed out that Leverite just means brother-in-law I don't
1: know why they can't just put that why do they feel like they need to put Latin (laughs) in the Bible instead of
0: language in the Bible right Um, Yeah. A law designed to sort of keep communities, I would argue, together Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, and against situations that would cause particularly women to be in destitute situations. So uh, if a woman is widowed, um, one of the one of the man's brothers would um, ultimately absorb her into his household uh, as a wife. And so. Um, yeah, it was a provision uh, that plays out in the book of Ruth as well in Ruth and Boaz. But um, it and did very-
1: not play out so well with Judah and Tamar, which is probably why they put yeah. this law in place.
0: We get we get a picture of both sides. Uh, and then we get more miscellaneous laws uh, when there's a fight between two men and the wife grabs some guy's junk. Hey, you got to cut off her hand. Uh, I'm sure when you read that, you're like, why is this in here? Right. So uh, I think what's
1: happening here is that it's the wife's or the woman's intervention is a symbolic act of trying to impact the man's ability to reproduce, yep. which has to do with God's value for life. Yep. And that's, it's yeah. It's threatening that is unacceptable yep. Pro- in God's kingdom.
0: Procreation is important to God. And so mm-hmm. uh, anybody that would try to do something to cut that off, uh, to, 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 to destroy it. Um, yeah. It's a, there's a punishment for that. Uh, so be honest. Don't use false weights. Punish, and hey, punish the Amalekites, because uh, guess what? When we were going through the the desert, um, they attacked the weakest of us. So we actually get the details of, of how they were attacking. Um, and so there's there's judgment for that. Yeah. Uh, so
1: offerings and, of fruits, first fruits and tithes. Yep.
0: So, so when you get to the land, hey. Offer your first fruits back to the Lord there should be a celebration you should be thankful for the way that God has brought you here and tithe to the Levites. take care of the needy do all the stuff I've told you to do um, and there's twice there are 12 times in this chapter as you're reading through it says Lord your God mm-hmm. so it's a reminder constantly like look this is your personal God 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 is your God and your God is God like there's a relationship yeah. there um, and we should celebrate that when we get there
1: yeah there's some just really beautiful language and imagery here and it's a reminder don't get so tangled up in these laws that you forget how how God sees Israel. Uh, he's their God, of their people for his treasured possession. He has made these promises to them and um, he's going to exalt Israel.
0: Yeah. It, it almost feels like at the end of that, a sort of um, resetting vow. It's like yeah. when married couple's decide to renew their vows this is God renewing his vows with his people Yeah. Uh, and then uh, when you get on the other side of the Jordan hey uh, you're going to find these two mountains Uh, you haven't been there yet but for some reason uh, I'm going to tell you their names and you're going to figure it out Uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim and when you get there uh, you're going to stand on these different sides of the mountain but uh, you're going to set up this altar at Mount Ebal where you're going to take a few of the rocks out of the river after you cross it you're going to whitewash them you're going to write the law on them and they're going to be a reminder all the time of, mm-hmm. of this transition from being a people without a land to a people with a land. And so. Um On one side of the mountain, he sort of like sets up, uh, or at least he's saying, hey, when you get there, do this. You're going to set up one side of the crowd on one side of the mountain on Mount Ebal. You're going to set up another crowd on Mount Gerizim, and you're going to shout at each other. And one side is going to shout about blessings. One side is going to shout about curses. uh, And you're going to agree that this is part of being in the promised land. We're going to follow God, and we're going to get these blessings. And if we don't, then these curses are going to happen. And so, yeah it's this beautiful visual picture of exactly, I think what this book is really about. So uh, the blessing includes all sorts of things, crops, um, the, the livestock, the, the wombs themselves, food, provision, defeating of enemies, blessing the barns, like all these things come with obedience, Mm -hmm. um, and disobedience uh, as you read through it, sort of all the opposite things from that almost directly. Um, and so, yeah, you see this all sort of play out. And it's foretelling uh, kind of how it'll go the, in the curses, particularly. It's like, yeah. hey, there's going to be a foreign power. It's going to come in and destroy your land. Um, and the curses are going to be like like the curses of Egypt uh, upon you all.
1: Which so. we see happen and we Cover that when we get there.
0: <clears throat> yep. And so there the covenant will be sort of renewed. Once again, this sort of a resetting of the vows. I want you to remember like, Hey, this is the covenant. Like we've set this before I'm going to remind you of it again. And, yeah. and, and it's for you and for your children. You're going to remind them of that. And, and, um, and, and it speaks towards the future. It sort of says, Hey, like when, when the structure of Israel does come and sort of pointing towards that, <clears throat> when, when this finally happens, and destruction happens, uh, the outside countries are going to look and they're not going to be like, what kind of God is that? They're going to say, hey, these people did not follow this agreement. They did not hold up their end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And and God reminds them, look, there's a lot I'm going to be doing behind the scenes. There's a lot that you don't know about and you're not God, but I have made these things plain and clear to you. So obey these things.
1: Yeah, I think... As we look back on this, it's just a continual reminder that God's laws and structures are not arbitrary; they're not just a list of rules. While they do reveal our sinfulness, it's also coming back to what we read about in Genesis one and two—that God has created us for a purpose, and we will be the most satisfied and the most ourselves when we live into our created order and design. And this is what that is.
0: Yeah, and, there's and he,
1: blessing in that,
0: and he reminds them here. I mean, and in, in sort of the blessing too. Like, like even if even if you screw this up. Like there is always a way back, yeah. and um, he says, "Even in their sin, you merely repent; you return to me. I will restore you. No matter how far you go, my mercy will go farther." Mm-hmm. And so, um, there's there's always that provision in the covenant of repentance and return, which we will see. I mean, we'll see as soon as we get to the Book of Judges. A sort of cycle of 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 brokenness and restoration, and then uh, and then it's laid out. The sort of um, I would argue that the the actual drive of this whole book, this sort of choice of life or death, the doctrine of two ways um, that, that God's like, look, I've made it clear. Here's the laws. This is what you get with the laws. If you disobey the laws, here's sort of what you get when you disobey the laws. So which do you want? And he sums up starting in verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord, your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land with the Lord that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give him. And mm, so. Um,
1: that's just a good time for like, even as you're listening now, just to stop and pray, Lord, you are my life and you are my length of days.
0: Yep. Yep. And so, in Christ, yeah, we we we're not living for a, a physical land in in somewhere in the Middle East, uh, but that we have because of Christ's works all these things that are true of us, mm-hmm. um, even in our disobedience. So, um, may we choose life, and by saying choose life, may we choose Jesus. Yeah, it's a New Testament. So we are still uh, in the middle of uh, Paul going about his journeys with Silas here, and um, he ends up in a city called uh, Thessaloniki, but uh, Thessalonica. Um, we'll, um, we'll unpack a little more as we go of the city, but this is a city that um, certainly has a lot of... Uh, Emperor Caesar ties. And and so when, when Paul comes to town declaring uh, the good news of Jesus, which is stands in contrast to the good news of Caesar, he's saying, look, Jesus is Lord. Uh, we have no king but Jesus. When the, the Caesar crowd would have said, we have no king but Caesar. And so um, he immediately is going to stand against them, which is why they eventually declare, like, hey, these men are defying Caesar's decrees and saying there's another king besides Caesar named Jesus. Like, this is absolutely um, the, the contrast that this this city, uh, for a whole lot of reasons that we'll get to in a second, um, would have uh, stood against. Once again, like, the, the good news, the kingdom of Jesus stands apart from the kingdoms of this world, mm-hmm. um, and it, it is causing a whole lot of havoc, particularly here in Thessalonica.
1: Yeah, and I think with some of the descriptions here, it's we get a cool glimpse into Paul's uh, like apologetical way of teaching and winning people over. You know, we see that he reasoned from the scriptures and he explained and proved, especially this idea of Christ as a suffering servant. And then through that people were persuaded to believe.
0: Yep. Yep. And, uh, but there was definitely a crowd that didn't like it. For That's various true. various reasons. And of course, they, they even go and find basically the hired guns, brutal kind of guys to to start a mob and drive these guys out of town and so they get out of town uh they end up in Berea, yeah about 45 miles away uh and this uh, town receives the word with all eagerness like there's a good reception here uh and people are responding positively
1: and Um, they went on their own and examined the scriptures they were like okay you're telling us this let's understand it
0: yep yeah and so so be a uh, berean but but we get a bunch of people from uh thessaloniki who uh, aren't are deciding to hear about Berea coming to 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 Jesus and have a hard time with it, mm-hmm. so they send a bunch of trolls to go deal with it, um, and it causes havoc for Paul. So Paul leads leaves uh, for Athens while Timothy and Silas stay behind. Yeah. yeah, and so Paul goes to Athens. It's good to know Athens. This is like the city of wisdom and philosophy historically. Um, and uh, whether whether you followed Plato or Aristotle or Epicurus, like whoever you followed, like this is the hub of all those sort of things. So Paul Paul gets to this town, and not only that, but this town will have temples all over it for all these different gods. Let alone um, the 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 Parthenon itself uh, that overlooks the whole city. And so he goes throughout the city and he sees all these temples to all this different kind of worship. Uh, and Not only that, but there's a temple to an unknown god. Whether whether they would have identify that uh, with Yahweh since the Jews in the town probably wouldn't have said the name Yahweh or whether it's a catch-all for, Hey, like something's happening and we don't know which God it is. And so therefore we can make a, uh, an offering here, whatever it may have been. Um, there's, there's this, this, this unknown God that, that Paul goes, mm, I, I bet I can pick up on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and so, um, He's, he's debating, and he goes to the sort of marketplace, the, the hotbed of debate at the time, and starts teaching. And then he gets pulled into this group called the Oropagus, um, which, yes, was a hill, but uh, it's also uh, basically the the Supreme Court of philosophy. Uh, so um, they were named after the hill originally, but, it, but it's a group of people. And uh, they would have brought in philosophers, particularly new philosophers, which they kind of point out. He's teaching this this new god. Um they would have brought him in and weighed in on what he said. Uh, this is the same group uh, that uh, ultimately um, um, caused uh, Socrates to have to drink hemlock. They would have weighed in and said, is this true? Is this something we can tolerate as great philosophers? And so Paul gets this sort of stage of this great group um, that's going to weigh in on his philosophical soundness. Yeah. And and so he, he lays into he them in a them. lot of yeah. ways um, he, of this unknown God. And... Um, and, and so he, he just lays certain statements that just feel like jabs, like he does not live in temples made by man. And so you're surrounded in the city in temples made by man to all the various gods, let alone the Jews but that might be hearing this going, wait a minute, like we know our God lives in a temple. Yet um, I'll argue why uh, I think he's actually picking up a scripture in some of that too. And, and he did this and he said men would seek him, which is a word picture of like people trying to feel around in the dark. And, and Paul's basically saying, look, you're not far. But, like here, here's some of your philosophers and, and, and he quotes things that like sound like, oh, they, they, they sound close, but they're still not there. And Paul's mm-hmm. like, yes, you're, you're not, you are wandering in the dark and, and, and he's trying to bring light. He says the divine being divine being like gold or silver or stone, which is just mocking this huge statue that would have overlooked the city at the time. And he says, and, and, and this time of ignorance is over. Like God, like it, this is a time of repentance. Like come light has come and, 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 and you can, you are, I'm teaching you, I'm sure showing you what is true, that who the real God of the universe is. But it's the last line that seems to get him in the most trouble. He says, and in, in this he has given assurance to all by the raising of the dead. And this raising of the dead seemed the resurrection thing, it's a thing that seems to set them off in their response here. And the reason why is because the Europagus court itself, when it was dedicated, when it was established, there was a whole play as part of like what they did. And Apollo in the play says, be when the thirsty dust sucks up man's blood, once shed in death, he shall arise no more. And, and part of the philosophy of this group at the time was that resurrection does not exist. and And so for Paul to be like, no, like resurrection is the the centerpiece. This is the assurance of it all: is resurrection. And they just about had enough at that point about that. But when Paul's engaging, I would argue that he's engaging them on their cultural norms, but he's also doing it a lot with scripture. Like he's a bit paraphrasing it, but everything that Paul says can be found: Deuteronomy four, Isaiah forty-two, Second Chronicles six, Genesis one or Genesis ten through eleven, Deuteronomy thirty-two, Deuteronomy four, stuff that we just read in Deuteronomy. And and I think he's picking up on all these. Profound truth in scripture, but speaking in a way, in a language that spoke to the Greeks.
1: Yeah, uh, so I think one of the lessons here for us is to to know our context of who we're speaking to or who we're sharing the gospel with and how you were going to share with different people with different beliefs or different backgrounds in different ways, and yet it is still centered around scripture, which is our ultimate source of truth. So even if somebody does not believe in the inspired word of God, we still argue from that because we know that it is the ultimate truth, whether they believe it or not.
0: Yeah, and Paul? Paul? sort of leaves Athens uh, and I'm a little curious about why we don't have a first Athens, second Athens letter or anything like that. And, and even in history, it seems like Athens took a little while to, to come around. And the very next city, Paul goes to is Corinth. And it's interesting because in one of Paul's letters, he, he actually tells the Corinthians, Hey, I didn't come with these wise philosophical words to you. Like I, I came with just the plain gospel. And I wonder mm-hmm. if he maybe learned, it's, it's totally conjecture, but maybe learned a little lesson and how he interacted with the Athens, the Athenites, the Athenians, I guess. Um, And and it's like wait a minute I don't need to be the most amazing philosophical person in the room and and if I just teach Jesus
1: that's enough that's
0: enough yeah that's good and he comes to Corinth and um, Corinth would have been the opposite of Athens Athens is a town of like sophistication philosophy influence stuff like that Corinth is where um, ex slaves or ex convicts or stuff like that would all end up it was sort of a a a catch all um, sort of like. Australia was historically like this is where we send you because we don't want you back in our, in, in, Italy. And so, um, for Rome, this was sort of where that whole crowd of people would end up. Hence why Paul meets two people that just got kicked out of Italy, mm-hmm. uh, and Priscilla and Aquila. And so, um, it's a collection of generally sort of marginalized people, uh, that the gospel really takes root in the city. Uh, and Paul works there. He takes up his role as a tent maker. Um, and, um, yeah and and starts teaching, uh, but the Jews in town seem to not click on what Jesus, what Paul's speaking on
1: right It's he's like they you know they get mad at him and he's like, all right fine, your blood be on your own heads I'm in, I'm innocent I'm going to the Gentiles, yeah. and then the next sentence is like, oh and he went to this uh, Jewish guy and he believed you yeah. know it's-
0: yeah so um yeah it's it's it feels like uh, to me it feels like Paul's Elijah moment when God speaks to him here, it's sort of like, look Paul, don't be discouraged. Mm-hmm. I have many people in the city just keep at it you'll be all right um and then we're we're told how paul's all right right away when the ruler got Ga- gal-io, galio oh i'm not even sure uh basically is like hey i'm not gonna punish you i'm not gonna throw you in jail like this is a jewish affair you guys are arguing about your own scriptures just deal with it yourselves
1: mm-hmm. yeah yep
0: and Paul returns to Antioch. He seems to leave with Priscilla and Aquila.
1: So um, remember, Antioch is where he started. This is the end of his second missionary journey.
0: Yep, this is Syria. Yep. And uh, while in a way, he shaves his head. Of course, why wouldn't you do that? Because yeah. he's made some kind of vow. Um, so whether he was a na- uh, Nazarene or some other vow that he has made, he decides to, he's done with his vow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he preaches in Ephesus and leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind there. Yeah. So let's pick up with, for Thessalonians, and so as I said, this is a city, because of how they sided with the current emperor uh, in, a, in a foreign, war, in an older war, um, they have been given all these goods from the emperor. Um, he, he poured out festivals and games and arenas and streets and theaters, all this kind of stuff, but in return that they would worship him. And mm-hmm. there was a, all sorts of evidence that there was sort of a, a cult of Caesar, uh, particularly in Thessalonica. And so um, this is the group that has uh, heavily influenced um, this city. And so we're going to see in Paul's letter, um, him, him deal with that, the the good news of Caesar versus the good news of Jesus. Um, and we're dealing with our first epistle, our first letter. Right. Um, and, uh, they were often written, um, in a way that sort of uh, sometimes in response to things that are going on, and and Paul particularly will will have an argument and a conclusion, and, and argument and conclusion, argument and conclusion. He he develops these 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 ways of dealing with um, the problems in the churches. Um, and it's important to ask who wrote it who is it written to? What prompted it to be written? What is the message? So, um, this one who wrote it is Paul. He's writing it to a church. Sometimes he writes to individuals, but here to the, to the church, it's meant to be read as the church. Um, and what prompted it to be written Timothy, we're going to find out in the letter. Timothy has just shown back up to Corinth. So this happens while Paul's in that Corinth for a year and a half. Um, Timothy has just shown back up with the good news that the, that the Thessalonians are doing good and he decides to write a letter. And so, uh, yeah, let's dive right in. Yeah.
1: So keep in mind, Paul is in Corinth at this time when he's writing the letter. You may have just said that. I can't remember.
0: Yep. So that's yeah. Go.
1: So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are talking to the Thessalonians. And the first thing they start with is like, basically, you guys are awesome. You are an example to everybody. We're so proud of you because of your faith and how you have put it into action. It's not just something you believe, but it's something you're taking action on.
0: Yep. Paul uses a a common paradigm of faith, hope, and love. Um, And he certainly uses that here and he connects it with work and labor and endurance words that feel very, very um, three words that feel almost more abstract and three words that feel very tangible um, to highlight them. And he Mm -hmm. highlights love and community highlights endurance and hope uh, throughout his letter. He'll highlight work uh, as well. Um, And so he calls them chosen by God, which to the, the, to a Jewish and Gentile mixed crowd would have been a surprise. Like chosen by God is a definition for the Israelites. And so for him to refer to these Greeks that way, these Gentiles that way, is is pretty surprising uh, to the sensibilities of a Jewish person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, He then begins to talk a little bit more about his ministry to the Thessalonians, and I just think we get this really great glimpse into Paul's heart. You know, he can uh, be—from what we read in Scripture, we can infer that he's kind of like a bulldozer of a guy. He's a pretty intense guy, but he's got this really tender place for his churches, and he loves them with a special emphasis on this idea of spiritual parenthood. He talks about how he's a mother to them and a father to them and— family with them. This is um, a picture of true discipleship and sharing the gospel and, and giving yourself in always to the people you're ministering to.
0: And he's certainly highlighting their turn from idols. And, and you got to remember in these towns, like, the worship of all these gods and Caesar himself, like, is so ingrained in all the different fabrics of society. Mm-hmm. And so, if you are turning from your idols, you you are turning away from like how trade is done, probably in the city, and how caring for your relatives is done in the city. So, like, if your sister, who's not a believer, decides, "Hey, I'm barren and I want to worship, so let me go to Aphrodite and make an offering. Can you come with me?" It's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to make an offering to Aphrodite, and and like the the tension that that would have played out to say Jesus alone is God um, in the midst of of a culture that's so ingrained in all those things being part of all the different fabrics of society.
1: Right. And this may not feel like a super strong connection to us in a modern secular society, but this is that's still a very normal understanding for someone who comes to Christ from a Hindu background and lives in a Hindu country yep. or a Muslim background and lives in a Muslim country.
0: And he and he encourages them. He's like, Look, like you're not alone. Like mm-hmm. there's churches in Jerusalem and yes, but the, the, the people of Jerusalem kill the prophets, they kill Jesus, they're persecuting the church, but but judgment will still come one day or it's coming already and 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 just keep enduring. It'll be all right.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a theme here of the wrath of God and whether you are delivered from it or it's coming upon you.
0: Yep. So Psalm 74, i to talk about that real quick.
1: Yeah, so Asaph is kind of lamenting the destruction of the temple. Uh, he's having this prophetic understanding of what will one day come. Um, but I think what's cool is in this is that he doesn't have the complete understanding that the temple will one day be God's people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a little bit of reminiscing too. It's like, ah, yeah. uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed, but remember when times were better. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll come back again. Yeah. And Psalm 127, um, God is the builder of all sorts mm-hmm. of different kind of things. And God is the womb opener. Children yeah. are great. God loves to bless. I know This
1: is a good thing. If you're still in quarantine and listening to this, that's a good thing to remember. Yep. Because it can be hard sometimes.
0: So next week, what is so far our longest podcast right now. um, All
1: those miscellaneous laws. I mean, (laughs) I just don't know what to say.
0: Oh, you want to talk about your next week's?
1: Yeah. Okay. So when you read the song of Moses, I want you to compare and contrast God's work and character with that of God's people. Uh, And then watch the Bible project on Joshua. You are going to have questions about war and what looks like genocide in this book. And uh, the Bible project just does a great job kind of addressing it ahead of time and giving you context and background for understanding it. And in the New Testament... Uh, just pay attention to Paul's instructions about holiness in First Thessalonians and think about what we've learned about holiness in, through reading the Pentateuch and what it looks like for Israel to be set apart and holy.
0: Yep. Uh, and then for me, yeah, the Old Testament, um, as Sarah already said, did a Bible project. And also like we are dealing with a genre of like victory. And um, it's important as we read the genre to know that hyperbole is very normative in the style of genre. So as you're reading it, um, it's not to say anything's untrue, but but also know like this is this is the, the bragging of the victors. And Um, And and to think through that as you're reading so that some of the visceral reactions to those stories are not quite as strong as uh, they probably should or need to be. And then in the New Testament, um, when we get to the whole, like, there's there's this whole um, 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 kind of where we get the, the theological world of rapture if you know the story of the fact that emperors would return to towns, particularly Caesar or Zeus, um, depending on your philosophy, that he would return to town. He would acknowledge the dead first. He would come into town and you would greet him on the outskirts of town and bring him into the city um, to, to basically survey um, whatever investments he's given to the city and how they've, what they've done with those deposits. And so if that's the picture, when you read through those sections, think about that Um, and, and who's coming Where and which direction are they going? And so um, I I think some of our really poor theology comes from not understanding the context of what Paul might be referring Mm to um, and and to think through that as you read that this week. Yeah. So that's it. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Bye.